Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. So I have a complaint to register. With which one, Daryl Hall or John Oates? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I think I'll... John Oates is the unsung hero of Hall and Oates. Do you? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what they're up to these days. So my complaint could fall on one of their shoulders. <laughs> I'm going to say it's Daryl Hall. It could be. Well, let me let me tell you who I want to complain about, and you'll tell me if I if it is Hall. Okay. So it's probably me, isn't it? So. Uh, no, my buddy in in, <laughs> in Singapore sent me a, a a box of moon cakes because it's the you know the time for the moon cake festival over there. And oh yeah, it's totally all. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I love getting moon cakes and I love eating them. Uh -huh. Well, this is the first year that when they arrived, the box had been examined by customs, <gasps> and they had. Opted there. The box contained four mooncakes, and one and of them had a giant bite taken out of it. Tell me, somebody no, took a bite. Three of them were completely missing. <laughs> what? I had a giant box with one little mooncake. Oh, no. <laughs> and the note from customs said, "Thank you. you know, due to they the were delicious." <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what it. That's the the subtext of the letter I got. Is these look too good for you? So we're going to eat them. Oh, so I my only got one mooncake. And if he is now working at customs, then I totally blame Daryl Hall. This is on the squarely on the shoulders of Daryl Hall. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what he's up to these that's days, and that's unbelievable. <laughs> it was a little sad. I'm so empty, sorry about bars. that. That is uh, that's horrible. Yeah. Do it broke a, my I, heart a little bit, I'll tell you. It sh as it rightly should. Heartbroken. How are you uh, doing otherwise? Good, good. Otherwise, I'm good. That's it? I, as long as I don't think about it, I'm good. <laughs> wow. 
That's just, that's really sad. Yeah, so I'm gunning for you, Hall. Welcome to the next reel, everybody. We are here to talk about movies. We love uh, talking about movies. And this uh, episode starts off our, our romantic comedy series just in time for Halloween. Um, you can find us at iTunes and subscribe to us there. And it's a great place to leave us uh, five stars and a nice review, which we will beat on the show. And you can go to thenextreel.com and find all sorts of other ways to contact us and stay in touch. And, of course, facebook.com slash thenextreel, instagram.com slash thenextreel. Where else? Letterbox.com slash thenextreel. Letterbox.com slash thenextreel. slash thenextreel. Just everywhere. We are everywhere. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. And, our, I... insta- and our Instagram... Guess the movie challenge is still going on this week. No one has gotten the movie that I've been uh, uh, posting pictures of, so it's still up there for anyone who uh, wants to challenge themselves. Did you? Did you? Have we read the the feels like I'm in the room uh, review on iTunes from Dark Lord of Pudding? I think we have. Yes. I think we have. I didn't. I think. I think you read it because the review is very familiar to me. But the name was not, and that just strikes me as enormously amusing <laughs> right now. So, Dark Lord of Pudding, thank you for your kind words. You're very, you're very nice, and you're much more civil than your title would uh, would uh, indicate. That could be a potentially scary the title. Dark Lord of Pudding. I bet he's quite, quite, quite the nom de plume. <laughs> Uh, hey, good job on that uh, intro part. You did, you did Phew. good. You really owned it. I don't do it very often, so you know I, I know. really. And I just tossed it to you. I tossed it to you cold, so that I was just had to go with it. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you about a trailer I love. Tell me. The Desolation of Smaug. The Hobbit Part Two: Desolation of Smaug. Uh, and I, you know, if you uh, if you remember, I was uh, what do they call it? Uh, I think uh, on Wall Street they say bearish. I was mm. what they call bearish on the first Hobbit, particularly this whole 48 frames per second nonsense. I still contend that 48 frames per second nonsense is nonsense, and you can bet uh, your m- the missing scale on your chest plate that I will not be seeing Desolation of Smaug in 48 frames per second the first time I see it. I'm going to see it, and I'm going to enjoy this movie, is what I'm telling you. What a nice little metaphor. That was good. Mm-hmm. That empty, I like that. that empty bare spot over that dark place in your chest you call a heart. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but I am actually looking forward to this film. You get to do, I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I'm starting to get the feeling Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, they're a little proud of themselves <laughs> with all these Hobbit things. <laughs> I think they may be, uh, yeah. And well, and be, yeah, I would be, be no honest, no 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 <laughs> don't believe me this is earned uh, fullness this earned is, pride they've yes. done some some incredible work on on these films collectively and I'm I'm very excited to see them I'm most uh, excited because uh, we finally get to see my friend Bard the Bowman 
and uh, and I I love this section, uh, but in particular we get to see uh, and hear much more of Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as Smaug himself and the necromancer. And so, I this is uh, I think of the three I can already predict this is probably going to be the one I like the most. This is I and I you know this is the one that you you think Hobbit. This is the one you tune in for. Exactly. This is why you buy the seat. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, when I watched uh, the animated version... Are you talking I about the Ralph, kind of, uh, the Ralph Bakshi? The Ralph Bakshi... Uh, was the... No, the, that, oh, no, that was Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. didn't do the, the original, the Hobbit animated version, but it's similar-ish. Yeah. Um, that was the uh, Orson Bean, John Houston... Yeah, I always got... Uh, I was so excited with the Rankin. It was stuff. Rankin Bass. Sorry, Rankin Bass. Yeah. Rankin Bass. And then when I it finished that and it went to the big war between all the different groups, that's when I kind of faded out a little bit and lost interest. An army of orcs approaches from the north. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, I thought that you know, and that's why I think people were really surprised with this whole trilogy thing. But then when you realize that the dragon is the second part of the story, and then yes. there's this whole war going on in the third part, it made sense. Oh yeah, count me in. I was one of those. How? What? Yeah. What are they going to do in the third section? I totally forgotten that there was a major battle. It's, I know. I know. <laughs> Well, uh, apparently, I forgot that uh, Legolas gets, uh, you know, gets a little lady time. <laughs> I, I forgot <laughs> Legolas was even in the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be. Uh, he seems to have his little role there in uh, in this. Uh, yes. They make it make it a big, big deal about old Legolas. Yes, definitely. In this film, Orlando Bloom gets a little screen time. Screen actually, they, they actually pull off making him look younger than he was when he did the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. He actually does. He really does. But, you know, he also doesn't really age. That's true. Right? I mean, you look at him here, look at him in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, look at him in, uh, uh, you know, the first Elizabeth. Lord of the Rings. And, uh, yeah, right? I mean, he hasn't aged since then maybe he's animatronic he may be slightly he's partly animatronic Mm -hmm. um so i uh yeah i i think this is going to be a fun one to see absolutely looking forward to it what uh we've got did i say when it was opening they're making a big deal about it december 13th 2013 very exciting all right your turn i am doing a lovely little romantic comedy trailer kind of fitting in with the vibe of what we're doing this month it is a film that is i I believe it premiered at uh toronto earlier this year and it's actually going to be playing at chicago like right probably as our show's going out or a few weeks later at the chicago international film festival um it's called lay weekend and it is a Lovely little romantic comedy uh, directed by Roger Mitchell, who, of course, did the lovely uh, Notting Hill. And uh, you're saying lovely too much right now. I just need you to. I want to be on the record. And it's and it includes a lot of lovely. It and it includes the lovely, talented <laughs> Jim Broadbent, the lovely and beautiful in her age Lindsay Duncan, and the lovely. Oft forgotten but always enjoyable, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I hate you. 
I, I, it looks really good. This is like, didn't we, were we talking about this with some other movie earlier, kind of like the geriatric uh, romantic comedy films? Well, no, we were talking about the geriatric action films. Oh, the <laughs> with the your favorite, The Expendables and uh, Red, whatever, uh-huh. and Expendables, Expendables Two, Red, Red Two, right? <laughs> So so yeah, now we have the, the geriatric rom com. The Jerry yes. rom com. The, the, the rom comiatric. <laughs> rom comiatric. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh so yeah, so that is what we're <laughs> that's my trailer. Uh Le Weekend. It's is this couple of uh of uh old people who have been uh married for many years. They go back to Paris to kind of recreate their honeymoon, rejuvenate their marriage because their marriage is kind of, you know, they're, they're, you know they've been together for a long time. And it's kind of at that point where they're like, oh, do I really want to be together anymore? You know, kids are gone. What else do we have going on? And it looks like a great little opportunity for these two characters to kind of find the love for each other again. And, I, you know, watching the trailer just uh, it made me happy. And it's just, you know, Jim Broadbent. I mean, you really can't go wrong with the man. Right. Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, that Jim Broadbent. Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Plays a chair, Harry Potter. Uh, right? Yeah, that's right. He does. He does <laughs> indeed. What can't he do? What can't he do? <laughs> Such range. Uh, 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 so romantic comiatric to a nice chiffon. <laughs> Uh, I hear he's going to be a, a lovely vase on the mantelpiece <laughs> in those later films. You will never know he was even in the film. He's that good. It's like, wow, he's I so, didn't see him. He's so method. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So that's my trailer. It, it uh, It's playing festivals right now. I believe it's uh, opening in England, uh, in the U.K., uh, next week, and then it doesn't open in, in the U.S. until a limited release next Valentine's Day. So we'll have to wait a little while unless we catch it at a festival. Mm. Alas. Mm. Hmm. I don't know that I'm excited about you know that. Festivals is great unwashed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I was a joke. Uh, yes. That was a joke. Uh, I, love, I love me the festivals, please. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Shall we do? Shall we start in this? Are you okay? Are you prepped? Are you primed and ready? I am prepped. You know what? You know what? I feel like we've already failed this episode. Why? Because I feel like we should have been doing it in a non-linear structure. We should have started at the end of our review, and then been jumping around the whole time, and, and then brought in the trailers right before we finished with the real end. You know what? We should totally. You don't even have to worry about it. We're gonna do it all straight through. And then I'm going to cut the heck out of it. And so when you when people listen to it, it'll make no sense at all. Until we play that line at the very end, and people go, oh, <laughs> I see now. <laughs> oh, man, that'll be... That'll be so funny for you know future Pete and future Andy to one day say, what a terrible idea that was. <laughs> oh, podcasties, here we come. Remember when we shouldn't have done that? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I just made up an award. Did you hear that? The podcast. Podcasties. <laughs> Surely that's probably the only podcast award we'd ever get. <laughs> the one we have to invent. What do we make up for ourselves? <laughs> oh. Okay, now I'm serious. We should do this yes. thing. I love the Smiths. Sorry? I said I love the Smiths. 
to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. I love them. Holy. This is a story of boy meets girl. They made a statue of us. The boy, Tom Hansen, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day he met the one. The girl, Summer Finn, did not share this belief. You should know up front, this is not a love story. I think we should stop seeing each other. Just like that? Just like that. Start from the beginning and tell us what happened. I tried to talk to her in the copy room. She's totally not having it. Maybe she was just in a hurry. And maybe she's an uppity better than everyone super skank. In college, they called me perfectly adequate Hanson. He used to call me anal girl. I was very neat and organized. See so you have a boyfriend? No. Who needs it? We're young. Might as well have fun while we can. And... Wait, wait. What happens if you fall in love? You don't believe that, do you? What? It's love, it's not Santa Claus. I think it's official. I'm in love with Summer. I love how she makes me feel. Did you ever even have a boyfriend? Of course. What happened? Why, why didn't they work out? What always happens? Life. We'll get over her. I don't want to get over her. I want to get her back. We've been like Sid and Nancy for months now. We have some disagreements, but I hardly think I'm Sid Vicious. No, I'm Sid. Oh, so I'm Nancy. This is a Hall & Oates vehicle, really, ultimately. This is Mark Webb's effort to get Hall & Oates back in, the, um, in the, the musical vernacular. And as a music video director, uh, you know, I think he really has a has stake in bringing Hall & Oates back. And, and I think this song, You Make My Dreams Come True... Uh, in fact, maybe for me, uh, well, certainly it, it vies for heavy contention against Burt Bacharach's The Blob. <laughs> I have been singing this song all week. Yes. And I don't I, know the words. for I don't know the words to it at all. So, you know, it's, I just make up words to it. <laughs> a batter needs a cage. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what that a batter. What is that? I sing that in particular. That's that really stands out as. That's all right. I'll, strong I'll fix, work. I'll fix it in post. Question mark. <laughs> what do you think of this movie? Uh, where this is rom com. We should be we should be taking this serious. Uh, can I? I'm going to start. Can I tell you what I love about this film? Tell me. Tell me. Don't hold back. Well, I, now I've lost my. Yeah. No, I uh, I'll tell you I like this film. Um, I, I like this film, and I like that we're starting with this film because, uh, in, in particular, um, it is well. It, so it opens and it gives you the it, it gives you the punchline, right? This is a story of boy meets girl, and and it is not a love story. So we know how it's going to end. We just and and we know because of the nonlinear structure of the film, we know that the both characters know how it's going to end ultimately, but we know that they know that they don't know how it's going to end. They know right. they know how it's going to end, but they don't know in what fashion. That doesn't make any sense. But what I'm what I love about this film is first of all, the traditional sort of romantic comedy gender roles are reversed. Right. Uh, and uh that uh Joseph Gordon Levitt Levitt uh in, in this case um plays the emotional role of uh, uh, that is much more f typically feminine and uh Zoe Deschanel 
uh, plays the much more sort of uh, emotionally um, not detached but unaware uh, kind of masculine role. Yeah, a little more difficult to Aloof. pin. Yeah. yeah, she's enormously frustrating uh, in this film, and I think it, you know we'll talk more about about Zoe uh, in a bit. But um, generally, I I love the way this film turns those dynamics on their ear, and I think it makes it a much much more interesting film to watch than than some of the the you know traditional fare we'll be tackling uh, <laughs> in coming weeks. Uh, but for this one, I think they took some fantastic risks. And I was, I, I was, you know, it was very touching. I find myself really torn by the film at the end. I find myself really mad uh, because, you know, I, I know this girl, right? I know Summer. I dated yeah. Summer. And uh, I'm still mad at Summer in many <laughs> respects. You know, my, my Summer, uh, you know, shaved her head at an Ani DeFranco concert and became a lesbian so like i i when i watch that movie i think about that (laughs) 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 those were the days right oh yes good time and and so you know by the time the film ends uh and and we we kind of see uh you know joseph gordon levitt's uh, uh logical next step after these 500 days uh, my, I'm torn by being completely satisfied that this is the chapter that I feel like he belongs on. And God, I wish I could see that movie. Yeah. Then I realize I've seen that movie. I mean, I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen it. Right. So yeah. I, I deeply love this movie. That's just, uh, that, that's why. That's what it's, I'm saying. It is a really interesting film, and and you know Mark Webb, the the director who you know, like you said, started in music videos. This is his first feature film. He has come out saying this really is kind of a coming-of-age story masquerading as a romantic comedy. And I think that when you, when you look at it from that perspective, it really is a story about Tom really trying to grapple with his sense of love and what it means and, and, and trying to get a handle on this emotion that he really pins as, you know, belonging to one person when you meet that person. And I think the the lesson that he learns over the course of the story is growing and, and finding that, you know what, this is a this is a, a very tricky emotion and it really is something that can be applied to a different person. When you're not with the right person and his friend says that horribly cliched, you know, there's lots of fish in the sea at the beginning of the film. And but in a way, it is kind of true. It's it's you know it's it's one of those ridiculous things that people say at the wrong times when mm-hmm. you're when you're dealing with that heartbreak. But you are you can move through that, and there is somebody else that you can find. And and I think that when he is able to kind of grow through that and you know find Autumn, it's it's a beautiful moment, and it really feels honest. And you can really get a good sense that this is a character, Tom, who has actually grown and learned something about uh about love and his or it and the role of it in his life yeah you know the the other thing that i like so much about the uh, uh the direction that they they took the film and his in particular his journey uh is uh, by by sort of shining a light on um the emotional connection that uh men can make in a relationship and i i think that uh, in you know often that sort of 
you know, we don't see vulnerability celebrated in film, in romantic comedies often. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think back, frankly, to, to uh, Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine. I think that's another film that, that through a different lens and not a funny one, uh, lets us celebrate vulnerability uh, in a relationship in a different way. And I, I see a lot of parallels between this film and, and that, uh, not just in narrative structure, but in, in emotional structure of the film. And I found that, that really appealing. Like it, it makes it, a, it, it takes this film to a sort of a new uh, depth for me. Uh, that we get to celebrate through his point of view, the act of vulnerability in a deep relationship over the over the course of time, in a way that we, you know, I I don't remember ever seeing really a film like this told in this way. Well, it's tricky, uh, you know. I think the reason that romantic comedies are, you know, and I hate stereotyping, but I think no, 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 you should. I think this is important. <clears throat> well, go ahead. Stereotype I, I think the, the reason, yes, yeah, stere- stereotype away. The reason that I think they. Uh, tend to be told more from the woman's perspective uh, is because in society, men are in a way kind of loath to expose their emotions. They don't want to admit that they cry. It's, you know, men are tough and, and it's, and the woman tend to be the, the more emotional character. The men tend to be the, you know, the more, you know, dirty character. And, uh, you know, this is maybe just looking at the perspective of the stereotypical from, uh, you know, the 50s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that that feel has kind of always hung on in in this genre. And, I mean, you look at a lot of the uh, romantic comedies that are still made, and and I'm not talking about some of the uh, ones that we're going to be talking about so much. Oh, but no, the, no, of course But not. definitely ones that are out there. You know, you see these ones with um, uh, you know, I'm blanking on, uh, like the, the knocked up, whatever her name was, uh, the knocked up, uh, where she's the, the, uh, what? this is good. This is good. I kind of just want to see how this stuff, unravels. Um, where, are you talking where about she's the, where she's the, uh, you're talking like about the, Catherine Heigl, the yeah, uh, Catherine Heigl, yeah. where she's the, um, uh, person looking for her, um, uh, the inmate or whatever, you know, she's kind of got that uh, guy that she's trying to track down. It's her former lover. And it turns out that there's still, there's still is kind of a link between them. And you go through this whole romantic comedy thing of, you know, her trying to stop him. And, you know, it just, it's, it's a lot of silliness, I think. And it just plays on kind of the, the heightened emotions and everything. And I don't think it ends up coming across as anything that is as honest. It's, it's, it's for fun. And I think romantic comedies tend to fall to just kind of those fun sorts of that fun uh, type of film. Maybe that's because romantic comedies kind of came out of the whole screwball comedy genre back in the, early, uh, the earlier days of film. That's possible, but um, but I think that people now have found a way. Uh, really, kind of, I would actually go back to like the late '80s, with, even with when Harry Met Sally. I think that people started putting some more serious uh, emotional feelings into some of the romantic comedies that started coming out around then. And I think if you start looking, you know, the '80s, '90s, 2000s, and today. I think there is a thread of some more quality romantic comedies that do tend to be a little more honest with their emotions. Um, 
Well, you know, I look at you. You bring up Knocked Up, which I'm I'm glad you do because it's a you know I think Judd Apatow is one of those directors that is uh, those writers and directors that's taking on um, the the love story from all sorts of different vectors, right? And and the one that I'm thinking of in particular is This Is Forty, and I I was, um, you know, I I loved the trailer of This Is Forty. I thought it was really funny, and I love the idea of taking on these characters from a a place of a little bit more maturity, but it turns out the movie itself was not that funny. It ends up having a lot more sort of darkness and sadness in it, uh, and and it doesn't really approach the romantic part of the you know the romantic. It's really neither romantic nor comedic right. uh, through much of the film, and and uh, you know by comparison, you look at these um, at, at movies like Five Hundred Days of Summer at at Five Hundred Days of Summer, and you see just a really elegant balance between uh, what is really a movie about a breakup right i mean it's it it's a movie it's not a it's not a romantic comedy in that we're watching two people go over the struggles in order to normalize against one another uh, as they find the pattern of their relationship it's not a story about people uh, about two people just sort of uh, falling in love or it's not a story about finding a kid in a park it's not i mean it's a story about two people who find each other and realize they're wrong for each other uh, yeah. And and that's I, I think a hard movie to make you know a romantic comedy out of you know it's a hard story to do that and I I really love um, kind of the commitment they make to that relationship arc in a way that I think is more sophisticated uh, than than we've seen but there is something about the stereotype that I think is important which is what are we sort of emotionally wired to react to most naturally right that's why we keep making these movies that are that are otherwise kind of exist at that more sort of simple level uh you know boy meets girl um they have a, a wonderful time together there is some inciting incident that causes them to start fighting a lot they drink and talk to their best friends and then eventually they make up and get back together and and are standing outside with a boombox over their head um, but we're wired to see those movies and to love them because there is a deep, I think, psychosocial reaction we have to wanting to um, to exist in a relationship like that. I mean, that's just sort of as animals, that's that's kind of what we do. Um, and um, and I think that's why these movies, you know, typically romantic comedies capitalize on on that because we're biologically wired to aspire to simple stories like that in our own lives. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the times the nature of them having that happy ending, I mean, it really builds into that whole uh, stereotype of what you were just saying is not only do we want to see that story, we want to see those emotions played out, but we also want it to end happily mm -hmm. in a way that everything just feels uh good we've had a you know a good up and down with the romance but it still ends happily and we also have had some laughs along the way mm -hmm. i think that's you know a very key part of the genre is kind of that that happy ending that makes you feel good right right uh, and so with with this film, I think they, uh, you know, what they, what Mark Webb and, and uh, writers uh, uh, Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber ended up doing uh, was creating both a, um, a, a film that capitalizes on some of the stereotypes in moments, but make it a, a much more interesting, interestingly architected film. Yeah, yeah. And even the, the love story I find so fascinating because, I mean, it really... In a way, there is a comparison between this and Up in the Air in that... Oh, God, that's great. 
she yes. she really right from the start is completely honest with him and says, you know, I don't know if I want the, anything more out of this. And he's the one who really latches on and ends up creating this this love, this this immense love for her and really wants to have more in his life with her, even though right from the start she was honest with him as far as what she was expecting out of the relationship, exactly like Alex is with Ryan in Up in the Air. Yes. Oh, that's and such it, a great comparison. I didn't even think about that. That's perfect. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's just an interesting way that those characters are played. And I think it really comes out at the end when they're sitting on the bench together and Summer says, you know, and I can't remember the exact words, but I, I did, you were right. I, I, you know, because he was the one who was preaching, you know, about love. And she's just like, it's, you know, it, there's, it, there's not that thing out there. And she admits at the end, no, you were right. You should always believe in love because you were the one who was right. It's just that you weren't right about me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like an amazing uh, emotional honesty that is delivered at that moment that you don't often see in this sort of film. And I think what's amazing is the way that they play off that failure of this relationship in the film, but they still find a way to end it on a very positive up note. Because as an audience, you know, I felt as frustrated as I was with Summer and the relationship and everything, at that moment I knew that they weren't right for each other. And so by building in that end where he he meets Autumn and they have that connection, whether it is going to end up working or not, it almost doesn't matter to me. It's just the fact that they have that connection and we roll over from 500 days to back to day one of this new relationship. And I felt that that was the happy ending that we needed, even though it's not the right character or the character that we were expecting. It still is the happy ending for who Tom needed it to be in the film. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. I um yeah, no. I I mean I buy it. I I feel like uh the that his his journey uh, the the part I'm torn on is that his journey is really about um you know it, it, the reason it's allowed to end positively is by substitution. Which is how I mean how all r- really relationships kind of and that's the the rebound right you know i mean that's that, that's sort of how we're supposed to go with it but there is something that that to me is just a touch hollow uh at the end and i think that's why i end up conflicted uh because he is you know because we do end on a rebound story um it's it's a rebound story yes and no uh because i do feel like there's been that coming of age growth for him Right, and I feel like, I mean, I I can see totally what you're saying, but because he's gone through this this arc over the course of the story, and we've seen his character uh, grow, and and really through that that park bench scene where he's kind of you know finally able to say goodbye to Summer, and he's yeah. not angry at her anymore, we finally have seen him grow and learn to understand really kind of what love is and and, and the nature of a, a relationship and all of that, and I think. It's. I, I guess I don't find it quite so hollow because I, I felt the relationship with Summer always was told. I mean, it's told to us from his perspective. We get this story from his side, and it's. It comes at us very. In a way, it's unfairly because, uh, because he's a little more. Uh, it's his story. It's it's a more selfish story, right. and because because he does grow and he finally is able to change. 
the story that's going to be with Autumn, whatever that story is, I think could potentially be a, a much stronger love story between him and Autumn because now he's finally gone past the point of, I love you. I'm not going to listen to what you're telling me, which is what that you don't want a relationship. I'm actually now going to actually listen and understand and pay attention to what it is that you want out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can buy that. And plus, it's Minka Kelly. And I like, yes. I think I like her better than Zoe. That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Uh, I have no problem with that, though. <laughs> He's, he ended up with who he should have ended up with. Let's just, I mean, I'm just going to say it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt should totally end up with Minka Kelly. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, let's talk about uh, uh, um, uh, Joe Golay. Joe Golay, does he have a, like an urban... That sounds very French. <laughs> Joe Golay? Joe Golay. It's like a, Golay. It's like a, it's like a, a French lotion commercial. <laughs> Joe Golay. I'm sure he'd be thrilled to have this new <laughs> moniker. I can't wait till he listens to this show. Uh, let's talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What'd you think of him? Uh, there were no prosthetics on his face. There were no prosthetics on his face. Not he actually looked like he actually looks like. He did. Yeah. You know, I I always enjoy Jogolet. I think he's really just uh, one of the great young actors right now who's out there. Um, interestingly, his his film Don John... I guess you could call it a romantic comedy. I'm not quite sure uh, exactly what the genre of that is. But it's his directorial debut uh, and his uh, screenwriting debut. And uh, so he, you know, he enjoys challenging himself with films that are, are interesting stories. I really enjoy the... I don't always like the films that he picks to be in, but I always enjoy... Uh, what he's doing with it, and I enjoy that he's always trying new things and doing unique, unique projects. I mean, he's been around forever. I mean, this is a kid who, I mean, he started in 1988, appearing in some uh, bit parts in TV shows and everything, including like Family Ties. I mean, he's been around yeah. a long time, and then of course came the big one, Third Rock from the Sun, which I think was, uh, you know, he kind of credits with with his. That's where he learned all about, you know, the the comedy, the the pratfalls and all of that, like his spit take that he does in this. All of that kind of physical comedy came from Third Rock from the Sun. And he's working with pros in that one. So that's he, easy to yeah, see. Yeah, no, he certainly is. And that show was on a long time. Tommy Solomon. Yeah. He was in it, I think, five years, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, you know, I liked him in this film. And he's he is, uh, it falls a, a little bit. Uh, pray to um, you know to the to the Leo syndrome you know the DiCaprio DiCapriitis uh, where he just is a genuinely young looking kid even though you know here he is he's 33 something yeah. um, it, you know he he's another one that he's he's Legolas he just doesn't seem to age and and in some of his films as a result I have you know I have trouble buying him in this film I think he just nails it I mean he looks yeah. the part he feels the part and I, and in fact I would say um, I I think the same thing in uh, uh, Don John I think he just absolutely crushes the look and feel of that role you know how he right. you know I think he's just obviously he sort of wrote it I imagine for himself and I it just feels very natural I I don't have the same feeling about Looper uh you know, and and Inception to some extent, 
you know, Dark Knight Rises, uh, you know, Lincoln, uh, and, and yet, you know, 50-50 uh, was fantastic to, for me. And I know you, you, we have some, we're, we're sort of split on that one. Yeah. Um, uh, we're, we're kind of 50-50. I, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. We're going to like waste all of our bad jokes. If you pull them out too early, then we're just, they're not going to be funny. I, I, I'm a bad joke waster. Okay. When, it, when it's there, I got to use it, you know? Like the slot machine. Yeah. <laughs> just put it, it. Got it. Corner. Corner. Oh, I get this it. One. Yeah. Stupid. Oh. That's exactly what I sound uh, like. It's exactly what you sound like for that. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, and, and yet in this one, in this film, I think he, uh, I, I think he does a, a fantastic job. He pulls off again, that, that sense of vulnerability that feels very natural. And, and, you know, in the same way, I, I think, um, I think that Hugh Jackman pulls off that inner lizard brain that we talked about. You know, I, I think uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for me, uh, uh, finds that lizard brain piece of vulnerability for me. I can very easily imagine myself uh, in, in, you know, filling those shoes in this relationship. And it, 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 um, that, it built that emotional connection for me for the film very nicely. He's a guy who can play that emotional side of a man in a way where it comes off very believable and heartfelt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I, I find him 100% convincing through this film. Yes, totally, totally agree with that. Yep. Uh, and uh, Zoe? Ah, uh, Zoe. The she of she and him. What's the story with Zoe. I don't know, but it's she. It's she has anime eyes. Totally right. Totally. Yes. There's some people who are born with that. They're just parts of their bodies are cartoons. Yep. Sometimes it's she, the hair. I think Scarlett Johansson has cartoon hair, <laughs> for example. <laughs> uh, she just might. Right. You know, Audrey Tattoo also has kind of yes. that uh, an animated look. <laughs> yes. No, that's very good. That's she very does. true. That's very yeah. true. Uh, so, Zoe, do you have the uh, do do you or do you find uh, Zoe um, appealing? You know, I do in in an interesting way where I always kind of find her um, a little. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but mm -hmm. I always feel a little uh, put off by her. And maybe it's the way she looks with her eyes. I always feel like she's maybe just a little too observant. Like there's, there's some powers there that <laughs> she's, she, she's wielding. She's wielding like you know, secret powers. I think uh, she's a superhero. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. I, here's the thing. I, I'm a huge fan of the new girl, right? Of the show, new girl, her show, right? You watch new girl. No. I know. This is going to go nowhere. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the show, and I had the same feeling about the show that I have about this film. I find myself deeply attracted to uh, Zoe Deschanel's projects because I think she surrounds herself, herself with great people. Yeah. I, I love New Girl not necessarily because of her, but because of these other three characters, these three male characters on the show, and because of, you know, I think the writing talent on the show is fantastic. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm really attracted to that. But I find, I, you know, I'm just, I, I just am sort of bemused by watching her exist. 
you know, and and yeah. I I when I talk about her in other circles, uh, you know, with my only other friend, um, we have the same sort of feeling. Like there's this sense of um, that that she's just sort of mesmerizing, but in a very strange way. Like, man, there's a guy on a really tall bike sort of way you know i mean it's like <laughs> something that that you just wouldn't expect to see she's she's always looking at you a little bit like uh, like she's about to like like strike <laughs> <laughs> um she's in this film in particular i find her infuriating and i think it's infuriating in just the right way like the way it's intended to be uh but i I am just every sequence she's in. I find myself saying, "Gosh, why is she? Why is she doing what she's doing?" Like I, I have the same reaction to her that you know, watching a movie with my wife is like watching a you know a horror movie with my wife or something. She's just like constantly infuriated by the experience because she feels like you're just so stupid. That's how I feel watching Zoe Deschanel in this film. She's perfect in the role. Right, she absolutely inhabits the role of Summer. She is that. Uh, I mean, you're, I'm mesmerized by her. I'm constantly finding myself falling in love with her every time I see her, every time she's doing anything. Oh, the but Ikea scene. Forget about yeah, it. But I would, the same. We should totally go shopping. It makes me want oh, to go to yeah. Ikea. Absolutely. Or, or go listen to Octopus's Garden a million times. It, it, she has that personality that I'm drawn to that I just I, I totally can fall for. But at the same time, I, I feel like I'd be walking into it constantly going, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to yeah. end well, but I can't stop. Yeah. It's like it's like the bug drawn to the 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 electric uh, uh, zapper. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> stay away from the light. Stay away from I the light. I can't. <laughs> the uh, you know there. That's when the film. I think it's really interesting. Is that last sort of fifteen minutes, right? Uh, you know, it's the when after uh, Chloe Moritz. What's her name? Rachel. Uh, the mm-hmm. sister, the younger sister, says, you know, I know you feel like she was the one. I don't think she was, and I think you're remembering all the good stuff. The next time you look back, I think you should look at the bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Try to remember some of the bad stuff. And that it turns out being uh, really sage advice. Uh, and so he does. And again, we go start jumping around through history, and then we realize that, you know what, she really was totally aloof all the time. And uh, she was she was not the one. Um, and and you you cement that feeling of uh, y- you know what uh, Jogole you really uh, y- you were right to to allow yourself to you're okay to allow yourself to move on and by then that that sort of emotional feeling you sort of get to let go of of uh, Zoe and you get to uh, y- you get to start feeling comfortable in in Tom's shoes and and um, and safer. Uh, through that sequence, and I found that really rewarding. Uh, I, I think they did a wonderful job uh, painting this little eight-minute sequence, uh, allowing us as an audience to move on from that relationship. It was just beautiful. Well, and I think what's so interesting is the way they kind of come back to the same moments uh, like three times throughout yeah. the film, where you see these scenes play out, and in each time, it's it's just the way that maybe it's coming at a time in the film where we're in a certain emotional place where Tom is. We're seeing that, like, the things that are happening in that moment from that perspective where it's like, okay, I can see the positive side of that scene. And then we're saying, oh, I can see the really dark side of that scene. And we're saying, oh, I can see the side of the scene where I 
wasn't really paying attention to the signs that she was giving off. And it's not that she's a bad person. It's just that she was being honest and I was being in love. Yes. And I find it really interesting the way that they it, – it, it's a really interesting way to show this is kind of human nature. We can go back to the same, the same moment in our lives time and time again from different perspectives and find something different in it. And I find that so, uh, so amazing. And I, I, I think that that's a real strength of this film is, is they're not showing us different moments every time. They're coming back to the same moments. And we're seeing it from, with, with new eyes. And I think that is just so beautiful. And it, it, it's part of that growth that Tom... You know, really has over the course of this film. Well, and I, I think that it, you know, it's worth at least you know talking about this from the the uh, perspective of the the writing, the artfulness of the writing of this film. Yeah. Um, I, because Scott Newstetter and and uh, Michael Weber, um, they've written a bunch of stuff. Well, not a bunch, but they've written stuff together. Yeah. Uh, what? Have, let's see. What do I have? I lost my tab. Spectacular now, which is you know the big, the big indie summer buzz this year. Yep, that's the the big one this year. Pink Panther two, hmm, Friends with Benefits, a TV show. They uh, looks like they were uh, working on and and uh, but the, uh, but this one to me is the most I think, um, sophisticated. Uh, structurally and the most complex for the reasons that you just outlined. I think to be able to write this in such a way where we get um, such a complete view of these two characters through the repeat uh, display of these sequences, uh, I, I think shows a, an enormous patience on the on the uh, part of the writers to uh, to to and diligence uh, to actually push the story on us in the way they did. And I feel like as a result, we end up with a, a, a much more sort of holistic view of, of these characters. And I think that ends up making that uh, the reward of discovering where their relationship ends up, you know, even knowing that they gave us the punchline in the opening sequence, the opening narration, even knowing everything that we know, to be able to continue to learn things shows a, a, an enormous sort of prowess with words and structure that I think is, is you know, worth thinking about. And, you know, I find it really interesting uh, listening to the writers talk about the ending of the film. They, even all the way through to the end, aren't in complete agreement about some of the elements of the script. And I, I think that makes some of the honesty play where you can see things different ways. The moment where the, at the end, when he's sitting on the park bench looking at his favorite view of the city and summer comes up and they have that beautiful conversation. It's the moment we see at the very beginning of the film where they, you know, they kind of she puts her hand on his, they have that little moment and, and she leaves, to, she, they talk about her getting married and all that stuff. And, and she, she leaves and he kind of says, you know, I, you know, whatever it is that he says, it, it's kind of acknowledging, I don't hate you. I, I know that you just weren't right for me and, and I'm happy for you. And what's interesting is that even to this day, like those two writers don't completely agree as to whether Summer was actually there or not. One of them believes that she really did bump into him there and they have this conversation. The other one believes that this is completely a fictionalized scene that he has in his head to finally let go of Summer. And I find that so interesting that you can look at it both ways and it works both ways. 
but which did you believe when you saw the film? I believed she was there. Yeah, me too. I've always believed she was there. And I, I actually have never even thought about the idea that she wasn't there. Right. But one of the writers and the director both believe that she wasn't there. And this was all just kind of a figment in his mind that, you know, when you when you have a, a you know, a really harsh breakup like this, you kind of need to find a way to cathartically get through it, whether it's a, a weird dream you have or whether it's, you know, throwing a, you know, shredded photos off of a cliff into the sea or whatever it is. And this was for them, this was the cathartic creation in his head that he, um, comes up with in order to move past her. And they, the, the reasoning is we've seen this kind of thing happen in the film, uh, before we've seen the, uh, the fantasy little film that he creates when he's when he falls asleep in the theater and of course we've seen the amazing dancing that happens when they first get together we see these all these interesting perspectives in Tom's mind and so that's why they feel like this really can come through that way it's I an interesting perspective i didn't get that at all yeah, I Not know. Not at all. And I, and I think it's because they, you know, in, even as you're listing the fantasy elements of the film, um, you know, the dance scene, the the film, you know, right. uh, the classic film, uh, those were portrayed in such a fantastical way. Absolutely. Uh, that they did not fall in line with any other uh, more uh, real kind of perspective shift. Uh, right. In, and there's, uh, and there's there nothing. Was nothing that set us up for that. Right, exactly. And I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that's why I believe that she was there and is just kind of a... I, I never really thought it was like a circumstantial bumping in. I felt it was like she also kind of needed that cathartic goodbye. And she knew that he always hung out there and came to that spot to hope that he was there and he conveniently happened to be there. And so they had that moment. That's how I've right. always seen it. Right. Right. Uh, that's right. Now... Um, the, I sort of want to believe that that was a, a little bit of a fantasy because it wasn't a great scene for me. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, hmm. And it, it's not necessarily that I didn't need the closure. It's that I I didn't, uh, there are elements of, of just her performance in that scene that I felt were just like, uh, she just not there. Like, I, I felt like uh, she wasn't, um, she wasn't present there. Interesting, because I find that one of her strongest scenes, and I feel that she comes across in the uh, 100% honest way that Summer always is throughout the film. I completely buy everything that she does in that scene, everything she says in that scene. So that's interesting. I, well, it is interesting, because what I, what I, um, you know, what I really like about it was the hand-holding um, yeah. part at the end. And I feel like that was, uh, uh unearned handholding. It wasn't handholding. It was, the, the it touching, was that, the touching. Yeah. It was the, that friendly, you know, reconciliation from the anger and bitterness toward each other. And just kind of, yes, I kind of acknowledge you as a person and uh, I wish you the best. Yeah. <laughs> much like you do to me every time i acknowledge every... you as a person <laughs> and i wish you the best <laughs> i'm gonna I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna start my own greeting card company <laughs> 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 that'll be my big seller roses I are red i hate you, you. 
<laughs> I acknowledge you as a person. I wish, you, wish the you the best. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. You should do that. I'm going to. Uh, okay. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, do we what, do we need to talk more about uh, Mark Webb? Goes on from this. Direct Spider Man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's a... Didn't pretty, see that coming. Pretty lucky guy. I uh, am very thrilled for him that that's the trajectory that uh, that he's made. Very excited for him. Right? So, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to... I, I'm one of the few. Apparently, not as many people liked The Amazing Spider-Man as I thought. But I did really enjoy it. I liked it quite a bit. I'm definitely looking forward to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, I deeply, deeply liked The Amazing Spider-Man. I think people didn't like it because they felt the need to go back and do an origin story again. And I could, I get that completely. It it bothers me that they can't just jump in and do a, just a great superhero story without the whole uh, origin again, which we just got less than 10 years before. Yeah, I, no, 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 I get that I too. I completely acknowledge that. But I still think they did a stellar job with that film. Yep, yep, agree. We should talk about uh, that sometime. Uh, yes. So anyhow, Mark Webb, uh, he has done some fine work in this film. Uh, it feels like uh, I this was his first uh, feature film. Yes, as far as I understand, uh, and it felt like a first feature film uh, in a way that was uh, a first feature that was competent and present in itself, and extremely well architected and had some fantastic vision, uh, and that's not. Um, you know, that that's sort of rare. Yeah, he was very daring. Mm-hmm. He was, a, you know, that first filmmaker who takes risks and does interesting things because, I mean, you know, when you're making your first film, sometimes, I, I guess there's two ways. You can play it safe and just hope that you get enough money to make it, uh, to sell, tell somebody, yes, I did it, I made the money back, I want to do another one. Or you can really take a risk and try to make something, make, like stand out a little bit. I think he went that route and really did something that he could stand out with, not in a way that takes you out of the film where you're going, wow, that was really visually amazing to look at. There just wasn't much there. He finds a way to blend it all and tie it all together, and I feel it works. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know so much of that credit uh, goes to the cinematography and editing uh, in this film. And I, and I think in this film, a lot of it also goes to, you know, the production design, the costume design. Oh, uh, the just, music, please. I mean, everything comes yeah. together so, so well in this film. I mean, the, just the, the way that the production design, Laura Fox did the production design in this film, and the way that she tied the color schemes together. And interestingly, they never allowed blue to be worn by anybody or in anything except when summer was around and the dance scene which I thought was really cool because that's him celebrating his yeah, right. love for her. Right, right. That's wonderful. Um, talk about, do you, is this a soundtrack that you uh, listen to often? It's a fantastic soundtrack and the score it's, is also fantastic. Um, the soundtrack is full of just wonderfully catchy uh, pop tunes and, uh, well, a wide variety. I shouldn't just say pop tunes. It's just a wide variety of great music. And then the score by Michael Dan and Rob Simonson is also just beautiful, and it's got just some amazing uh, romantic moments, and it just is very playful and uh, a lot of fun. Uh, sorry, I went to the 
500 Days Music website. You can go there, 500daysmusic.com, and it starts playing real, real loud. You didn't hear that, but it certainly came on in my head. But it was there. It was also. so loud. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I think is so nice about it, first of all, I didn't need to buy the soundtrack because I had all the <laughs> songs. You had anyway. them all. You know, I mean, it, it, they, they do a, a wonderful job. This is sort of that high-fidelity kind, of, um, kind oh, yeah. of love story where you get a lot of great kind of alternative um, uh, alternative music that is really um, wonderful. Um, from, you know, the Smiths to... Carla Bruni to Hall and Oates. I think we all know how I feel about that. And that, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it really, I what I my whole point originally was just how well that the music ends up painting a picture of of the relationship that they have, and I think how they use the music um, to tell a, a richer, more dynamic story is uh, is is really very powerful. Um, uh, you can you can tell that this is another one of those movies that was written to music uh, in particular. Just feel it. And, uh, you know, hearing them talk about making this film with Mark Webb, I mean, coming from music videos, maybe that's why, yeah. but he was very uh, conscious of trying to create a, a, a very positive, upbeat vibe on set. And so was always playing music on set just to kind of keep people moving. And I think that does come across in the music choices as well, along with just the energy in the film. Yeah, just, I think that may be my favorite sequence of the film, the elevator sequence, when he's listening to the Smiths on his headphones. And That's she, a great she breaks in and says, I love the Smiths. Wow, you sounded like Zoe. Not really. Okay, I'll try it again. <laughs> I love the Smiths. Nothing? Anything? No. Better? Do you love no. me? Are you inspired by uh, me? Am I your muse? I, I'm a little afraid of you. <laughs> I'm afraid. It gets so weird so fast. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, any, what, what else do we need to talk about before we rank this thing? Uh, you know, this is a film... I was a little disappointed when this film didn't get i mean it, it got a lot of recognition a lot of award recognition um a lot of people put it on their uh, top 10 lists at the end of the year it certainly would be on my top 10 list of of 2009 when it came out it did get garner a number of awards but i was a little miffed when it did not get uh and a best uh, original screenplay nomination at the Oscars. I felt, if anything, really should have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I, I felt that the screenplay was so playful, so uh, I shouldn't say unique in the nonlinear uh, structure. That certainly has uh, been around. But uh, the way that they do it with the days and the way they bring the emotions up and down all across that, I felt was so strong. I really, really wanted to see this nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And I was disappointed to see it not. Well, particularly because it won uh, so many. I mean, it, it was nominated across the you know the spectrum of, of awards, right? I mean, in the festival circuit. But yeah. it, where it won was in the screenplay. You know, yeah. with it, with the uh, you know a handful of best directorial debut sort of awards that um, uh, that went to Mark Webb. Most of the the acknowledgement on the award circuit was with the screenplay. And uh, so I I really agree with you that was a that was a, a big miss um, and, when, and when you look at the films nominated uh, for best original screenplay the hurt locker a serious man inglorious bastards the messenger and up they're all 
uh, great scripts. I mean, I'm personally not a big fan of A Serious Man. We, I mean, we just talked about the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. That was not one of their films that I really connected with at all. Right. I would, I would happily leave that off and put 500 Days of Summer on there. I would happily leave The Messenger off and put that on there. I mean, The Messenger yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful film. Don't get me wrong, but you know, between these choices, I just felt like 500 Days of Summer was uh, a, a much riskier, more unique sense of storytelling that uh, excited me a lot more. Um, the Messenger, I, you know, it's a, it's a heavy drama. And maybe it's because this is seen as kind of a light romantic comedy. It's that is working against it when it comes time to Oscar nominations. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That's I think the uh, that's the prevailing wisdom. Yeah, uh, genre gets in the way of uh, of awards. Yeah, in this case, uh, you know, you bring up the days, and I, I just, I, 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 we didn't talk about that originally, but I think that's really important. Some, th- one of the magical, um, sort of false, um, uh, false notions of measurement is this is this sense of you know this is the the day number in this relationship. You know, we're we're watching the five hundred days of the relationship with Summer. Uh, if we're writing out the the equation and yeah. uh and so you know each segment is actually labeled with a day and in the beginning you think oh well i, I get a rough sense of where we are in the relationship you know when it jumps to day 250 we get a sense of we're about halfway through by the right. end uh you get you know i guess by about the third act you you those numbers stop meaning really anything until you get to the range of days, right? 455 to 475 or something, I yeah. think, are, are the next sort of, where those are the rebuilding days, and those start yeah. to make sense again. Uh, and yet, somehow, even though those numbers we know don't technically mean anything, they become such a powerful measuring stick uh, as you watch this film, like every time we get to one of those leader cards, I want to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I should write, I feel like I should write this down. Right. Uh, I think that's a really powerful, um, uh, powerful uh trick uh to keep me interested and right in the middle of the film they start moving really quickly you know you get through you know 10 or 12 days uh back to back in very short sequences yeah. um and and it, i think it just sort of punctuates attention and i i think i i really enjoy the fact that it's not day 500 where he sits on that park bench with her and they have that closure that's day like 488 i believe right and it still takes 12 days for him to finally kind of get through all of that and it's really when he meets autumn that those last 12 days it's still kind of that he kind of worked his way through it from that park bench conversation but it still takes another 12 days to just kind of get through the all of the 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 world of summer and kind of get over that love and introduce to a new person in order to really move on and and start start over again. Right, right. I really like that. Film performed fairly well on a modest budget, would you say? Absolutely. This was an independent film. It was picked up by uh, Fox Searchlight. Um the production budget for this film was uh, 7.5 million dollars and the uh total budget for this film was 19 million dollars so once fox searchlight picked it up they put another 11 and a half million into all the marketing so they certainly spent a good chunk of money on that more than the film cost which i thought was interesting but sometimes i guess that's what you do with these little indie films when you're trying to get them out to the world it uh it did well for itself you know it uh, domestically it made over 32 million internationally it made about 28 million so all told almost 61 million 
on a total of $19 million budget. So um, when you adjust all those numbers, and it's 95 minutes long, so when you adjust all those numbers, the adjusted profit per finished minute is four hundred, almost $471,000. Mm, so not bad that's for a, a minute's work. That's right. I'd like that per minute. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it performed very well and I think deservedly so. This is one of those that is, uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah. This is a film that, I mean, you know, for me, it's like a, you know, five star film. I mean, I, I feel everything in it is just a hundred percent authentic, a hundred percent honest. I, I can just watch this time and time again and not grow old with anything in it. I just find it absolutely magical. Wow. How do I, what do I, okay, uh, five stars too, because what do I say to that? In my own library, I'll tell you, I have this as a four-star film, and now that we've talked about it, I think to myself, maybe it's because I'm I, the genre is getting in the way of it. Uh, because, like you say, architecturally, it is one of the more interesting films that that uh, we have watched, but I worry about our ranking because, uh, you know, we're about to rank it next to some pretty powerful films. That's true, but, uh, you know, I feel, and uh, yeah, I don't have, I think, some of the the issues with Zoe's performance that you do, so it might be easier for this one to zip to the top for me than it is for you, but I, you know, this, I think, could beat out some of the other ones for me, so. Oh, man, not, I know. not again. Another one of those, I know. <laughs> Uh, let's do it. Can we do it? Are we ready yeah, to do it? I'm ready. All right, okay. so head over to theflickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can see our top... Uh, top films you can if if you jump to it from our extras menu at thenextreel.com you'll hit go straight to the golden list the top 100 next reel films and uh, we'll see now we finally I really love this now that we're over 100 shows we now get to see if this is going to crack the big 100 yeah I feel confident let's say very confident that it's going to crack 100 I feel confident too all right where do we start because I'm telling you uh, it'll be easy for me to have this one beat out quite a few, uh, uh, like this first one here. <laughs> and, and you know, we have so many films on here that we like, so it's always going to be hard. Five hundred days of summer, or thank you for smoking. Oh, five hundred days of summer. All right. And and if you listen to that show, you know that's that says a lot. I deeply love thank you for smoking. Oh, I do too. I, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Mm-hmm. Five hundred. Oh, this is a, a good pairing. Five hundred days of summer, or when Harry Met Sally. 500 Days of Summer. Here, here. With honor to those films that have come before it. <laughs> 500 Days of Summer or The World's End. 500 Days of Summer. I agree. And I love The World's yeah, End. Yeah, I think we can both say we are hooligans about The World's End. Now, this is where it does start getting trickier. 500 Days of Summer or No Country for Old Men? 500 Days of Summer. <gasps> I... I said that. I'm really... I, I know. I'm proud of you. I didn't think you were going that way. I really... I, I mean, No Country for Old Men is is a genius film, but... This is you feeling guilty right now. It is me feeling guilty. Okay. But 500 Days of Summer it makes me feel so good. So... <laughs> no Country for Old Men... <laughs> makes me feel dirty. <laughs> and it makes me talk in a funny accent. <laughs> oh, 500 Days of Summer or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, you really kind of have to go to Raiders. <laughs> That's a, yeah. yeah. I can't Five, believe it's gotten this high already. 
500 Days of Summer or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Butch Kid? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mm. might go no, 500 Days won't. of Summer. Are I you out love... of your... What? Uh, I'm... I'm going to stop. <laughs> no. I, I will go Butch Cassidy, though. I will go Butch Cassidy. But it does it does bring up doubt in my mind, which I find interesting. But I will go Butch Cassidy. Mm-hmm. 500 Days of Summer or The Hurt Locker? I'd like you to go first on this one. On this one, I will go 500 Days of Summer. I love The Hurt Locker. It's a powerful film, but... 500 Days of Summer has magic in it. And I, I think no, I, I, cinematic magic is difficult. Okay, I mean, fine. I'm with you on this one. I'm just surprised. I thought this was going to be fireworks. I expected an Andy on Andy, <laughs> Andy on Andy smackdown. Wow, wow, crazy. Uh, there you go. Number six out of 112. <laughs> You know what I'm going to say about us? I think we may have uh, we may have opened uh, with the wrong film for this series. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, it's now a, it's out no, there. Yeah, it's out there. It's out there. I love it. Uh, I'm I am glad to see that uh, the romantic comedy has made it into our top ten. I know. Crazy town, son. Pretty exciting. Good. All right. Very... Good talk. You're doing your uh, crazy Instagram guess this film. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, you know, I, I guess tomorrow I'm going to run out of photos. So it, even if no one figures it out, I'm going to post the answer and start the next one. You so. should, because are you doing, are we, are you going to be doing the next, what's this week? Are you going to be I, doing I will the not film? be doing, I will not be doing uh, the next uh, film that we're talking about, which is about a boy. Oh, I do like this one, too. Yes. Another one that challenges the yep. notion of romantic comedy, if it is or not. So yeah. it'll be fun to talk about. I absolutely love the film. So Excellent. Uh, so About a Boy next week, um, we we don't have an announcement about our next uh, uh, film board. That's coming up toward the end of the month. We'll save that one. Uh, head over to thenextreel.com. Make sure you're checking out the uh, blog, the fantastically uh, well bone structured Steve Sarmento is is uh, uh, writing uh, over on the blog he does great stuff and he's a lot of fun to be with really just generally um, anything else I'm missing I think you covered all of it you, you got def- you got a you hot, got, you got a hot date I was worried that you weren't gonna get Steve's bone structure in and I'm glad that you did cover that so how do you how would one miss that it's like the, <laughs> I, it's like the I, I first thing you notice about the it guy. it hadn't come up yet dang. <laughs> Look at those bones. It gets so 